0: This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nithin C. And thank you for joining us for today's Out of the Blue podcast about the annual conference issue of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine that was published on May 1st, 2018. I'm very excited to be joined today by the journal editor, Dr. Visha Vinjiha, to discuss a few highlights from the conference issue. Visha, I know it's an incredibly busy time for you, so I thank you for taking a few minutes to discuss the issue.
1: Um, Visha, thank you very much for asking me to do this, and I think we're going to have an interesting discussion.
0: I look forward to it. So I want to start out, since I have you here, to talk about, um, to talk about the year uh, so far. So obviously, in your role as an editor of a journal that comes out on the 1st and the 15th of every month, there's little time for rest. But as we come up upon the middle of the year, I'd like to ask you for your thoughts on what articles or themes from the journal have been of particular interest to you so far.
1: So, so, thank you, Nieschem. And I think the first thing is worth saying is how good the articles are that we are now um, receiving, and they really cover the breadth of lung disease. But I've picked a few topics out that um, papers we published in the last few months, um, which I think um, are, are very interesting and will will interest the um, the, um, the 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 listeners. first of all, we, had some interesting papers on diaphragm atrophy. I was a critical care consultant in my very early years, so I have an interest in this, and and particularly how diaphragm atrophy affects stay um, in the ICU. Um, We also have an interesting um, critical care paper, which is on the more translational um, side, looking how gut bacteria could influence neuroinflammation in sepsis. And this is Um, really interesting. I think the whole role of gut bacteria in respiratory disease will have to be um, evaluated in the next few years. But how gut bacteria affect the brain, it looks as if it's a temporary issue. Um, And this is a paper from Michigan uh, that is certainly worth um, reading and as a model for future studies. There's been a lot of interest in early disease and trajectories, how disease develops. This is something of great interest to me where we're doing a lot of work in the field, for instance, how COPD develops. So there's an interesting paper from Canada um, showing how small airway numbers are decreased early in COPD. This is probably some of the first changes and we're going to have the challenges is to get at these early changes. Um, there's a, there's a um, a number of papers on the xenophils, both in asthma and in CUPD with an excellent um, review from Tara Carr and Monica Kraft on exinophils and non-exinophils and asthma. And I'd just like to say we have some very good reviews. We spend a lot of time thinking um, about the topics and commissioning them, or they are suggested, and I would um, strongly recommend that review. Now, what is interesting about the very large trials? They usually get published in New England, um, JAMA, or Lancet. But some analyses of these trials often have the best data, I think. And we've actually um, got two—one just now, and one um, we're publishing. A, we've published a few months ago from the big GSK Summit trial. This was a study of cardiovascular morbidity in COPD, and there's one on lung function decline. But particularly on how COPD exacerbations and cardiovascular um, um, events um, interchange. We have a number of papers on deep learning, CT deep learning, both in ILD and COPD. Sleep, a nice paper on CPAP telemonitoring. In fact, CPAP education doesn't seem to do very much. I, I was pleased to at last see a telemonitoring study that seemed to work. And we've got a number of trials at ILD, particularly the in-journey trials. So there's a real good spectrum of papers and topics.
0: Yeah, it certainly is impressive you were able to summarize some of the depth and breadth of what's been in the journal over the last year. And that, and that, that first paper you mentioned, by uh, Gallagher, about the the diaphragm and mechanical ventilation was was really an incredibly interesting uh, paper. Um, And as with the others uh, you mentioned. So now I wanted to focus on the the current conference issue. Uh, And this is a featured issue for the journal since we are a society-based journal and the ATS uh, International Conference takes place this month. So I wanted to get your thoughts on a few articles that were uh, published in this issue. First, let's talk about an interesting randomized uh, controlled trial done by Stoltz and colleagues, and they looked at 450 patients with moderate to very severe COPD who were randomized to intensified dose inhaled steroids and long-acting beta agonists versus placebo at the onset of an upper respiratory infection. This is obviously your area of expertise, and later on I would refer our listeners to your editorial on this paper with Dr. Martinez, But i'd like you to comment here uh could you tell us what you thought uh what did the study find
1: so the study was interesting so the idea of the study was to increase the long-acting beta agonist inhaled corticosteroid inhale all by inhaled doses at the very first onset of a cold now you all know that colds lead to exacerbations Uh, But only 50%, if so, maybe even less, of colds actually lead to an exacerbation. So if you treat a cold very early and they doubled the lab or ICS, um, the, the, the hypothesis is that this would prevent the development of an exacerbation. So they did an RCT and they treated their patients very early at the onset of a cold and they found... No difference, actually, in the number of exacerbations. So that was very disappointing. But they did see an effect on severe uh, um, exacerbations, hospital admissions. Why did they see no effect on cold, on cold-induced exacerbation? Is that I think they treated too early. And I think they may have diluted the effect. But also, steroids are not particularly active against... Um, against rhinovirus, which is the cause of the common cold. So I think there were a number of issues, but why we like this paper is that it's a new approach to trying to prevent the development of COPD exacerbations. I'm afraid with all our interventions, it's 20, 25%, we've got the recent impact study, but we can't do better than that. So any attempt to look at a different way Of treating exacerbations is useful. Why did the severe exacerbations um, show a reduction? It may well be due to them being, um, these people being more steroid responsive. It could be due to the fact that these severe patients who get hospital admissions were more keen to adhere to the regime. So that's a little bit of a mystery. But I think it's the first time this sort of study has been attempted and has thrown up a number of important lessons for future studies.
0: Well, thank you for for explaining that. And I guess you've given us already a little bit of the inside baseball, uh, you know, the editor's perspective on on why you would... Accept this paper. So I'd ask you to expand upon that a little bit and tell us why it appealed to you and and some of the uh, the, the the answer questions you just mentioned in terms of how um, what you, investigators may learn from from the study findings.
1: Well, well, thank you, Nitim. And I think as an editor, one is always wants to publish, be the first person to publish. This is about is this paper. Um, original? Is the paper original? And the second point um, that one always um, always wants is more than incremental value. Th- these are the sort of discussions we have every Friday at 9am Eastern Time um, on, a, on a Friday. Is this novel enough? Enough? And I think this is. This is the very first time this has um, been done. There's already been a lot of attention drawn to um, to this paper, and I think there were very important lessons, as I said. If you want to do a study to prevent exacerbations early, for instance, 12 hours is too soon after the onset of a cold, it needs to be probably at the development of lower airway symptoms, Um, and that is why both Fernando and I, who's one of our deputy editors, we both wrote the editorials, we thought um, this paper needed some attention.
0: Well, thank you for explaining that, and now I want to move on to another uh, paper that I believe has created some buzz that was published in the in the May 1st conference issue, and that relates to the question of long-term effects of cleaning tests on the lungs. So, this was a, a paper in which the, uh, the European Community Respiratory Health Survey, or ECRHS, followed a multi-center population-based random cohort with a respiratory questionnaire and spirometry measurement. The participants were aged 20 to 44 at the first time point, and then they were followed at two more time points over 20 years. So if you could tell us what they studied and what they'd found.
1: Yes, well, this was a fascinating um, study where lung function decline was followed in women over 20 years who were either professional cleaners or cleaned at home. And um, basically what was found was that the use of ink cleaners and um, the use of both sprays and cleaning agents was actually associated with a faster decline in lung function. Oh, they say around 10 to 20 pack years, I'd say conservatively, probably around um, 10 pack years. So this is a long-term risk and a risk which becomes similar um, to the effects of smoking. There were some limitations in that it was really not clear um, who had background asthma in the study. But it is well known that asthma and airways disease develops in professional cleaners, and it's very important um, to study this so that we can train people about the risks and apply appropriate respiratory protection. Um, You may be interested that we have had quite a lot of press interest um, in this, again, this is just the sort of paper that an editor absolutely loves because it makes the um, it makes prime time news and makes the newspapers.
0: Well, I, I, absolutely, and, and I do find it very interesting what you mentioned. Uh, you know, you mentioned about ten pack year and, and reading in the in the article in the in the journal in the uh, editorial uh, mentioning a 20, 10 to twenty cigarette per day effect size. So I think it is very interesting and important in highlighting non-tobacco causes of respiratory decline over time, and and specifically the gender differences in that decline. Um, and so I don't know if you had any final thoughts in terms of um, your reasons for putting uh, this paper in the in the Blue Journal. I think it was probably just because it was such an interesting and, and, and novel approach to this.
1: And I think, well, I think two other things, Nishim, it's of immense public health interest, this. And, um, and you know, the way... That uh, cleaning fluids are dispensed, the way they are handled is very important. I've told my mother already to be uh, to be uh, to be careful. <laughs> but also, I think we now need. I mean, she still does the cleaning at her age. She she um, and refuses to have a cleaner. Um, but but what I think it is, we now need uh, researchers, investigators interested in airway inflammatory airway uh, mechanisms and asthma mechanisms to look at this. What is the, uh, what are the uh, mechanisms behind um, this effect and what can we do about it?
0: I think that's a great point. And and as you mentioned, the the public health implications are incredibly important. So um, uh, thank you for that explanation. And uh, I'd like to now move on to a third uh, important article in the May 1st journal. This was a a critical care article, and and this was a, a phase two trial finding that low-dose dexmedetomidine-prevented ICU delirium, which is the first study to actually show a drug preventing delirium. And would wonder uh, what your initial impressions were about this paper.
1: Well, I, I found this very interesting. You know, again, I as I said at the beginning, I have quite an interest in the management of patients uh, in the ICU. And delirium is a problem. I think the figure that's quoted 80% of patients who have longer term ICU stays, um, in fact, suffer from delirium. So there was a large effect size, I think almost around 30% reduction of delirium, if one use it, use the treatment overnight, while other things like haloperidol don't seem, or benzodiazepines don't seem uh, to make any difference. I think, as far as I understand it, and do Correct me if I'm wrong here. The de- delirium is thought to be very much related to sleep disturbance. And the odd thing is that sleep, in fact, was not changed. That is correct, is it? That um, I'm correct on this, am I?
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: So sleep, so um, as you well know, you have, you, you, you're interested in this as well, is that sleep, in fact, was not changed. However... Assessing, I think, sleep in ICU is very difficult and I don't think questionnaires are enough. I've never been particularly keen on sleep questionnaires. I think you really have to do some proper physiological monitoring. Um, What was your view on the paper?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point. I think one of the things that's interesting, obviously, this is, as you mentioned, there was another trial of uh, haloperidol uh, that did not show any effect on prevention. Uh, so I think your point is is well taken. The question is, you know, the, one of the the, the goals of, of modern ICU care is, is to, to minimize uh, benzodiazepine use because we think those are amongst the most deliriogenic drugs. And so there are different options to do this. The, the authors did a sleep question and they weren't able to do polysomnography to really see if sleep was improved in the group that received uh, the dexmedetomidine. So, that would be an interesting future direction. And certainly, one of the things they weren't able to study are long-term outcomes because the fear is that delirium uh, contributes to worse long-term outcomes, neurocognitive psychiatric outcomes, and there's been a lot of work in that field. And so, I think going forward, it would be interesting to see, one, um, is there an improvement along term outcome. What is the difference in actual sleep if you're able to measure it by polysomnography? And the other thing was they didn't find any difference in any other clinical outcomes. However, it was a small study of only of 100 patients, so it obviously wasn't powered to do that. And so, I think uh, just following up about that with you, I guess the question would be in terms of accepting it to the Blue Journal, just because it was such a, a new and interesting, I guess, again, the first study to show prevention of delirium in a, in a high-risk cohort.
1: Well, absolutely, and this was a, a you know a high level, very well done um, RCT, and I think you know it's fair to say the Blue Journal is very keen to um, publish major um, clinical trials which are of high quality.
0: Yes, well, I, I really uh, thank you for discussing these papers. It was really a, a jam packed issue, and to conclude our podcast, I'd ask you to give our listeners. I guess, a sneak peek on two things. I know you're going to have a very busy uh, conference. Are there any sort of Blue um, uh, Journal-related presentations or uh, uh, forums at the ATS conference? Or uh, just as importantly, what should they look forward to in the upcoming issues of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine in the rest of 2018?
1: So maybe just very quickly, there is a Blue Journal session on the uh, Monday afternoon. This has been a regular session all the time that I've been an editor. I'm going to talk about publication ethics. We're going to have a talk about statistics in, and how, what to do from our statistical um, editor who looks at any potentially acceptable um, papers and is very experienced in statistics in papers, we're going to have a talk about image manipulation and plagiarism. What we do about that? Really, highly recommend the session, particularly to early career researchers who are learning on how to um, write papers. Um, what's coming up in the journal? What's been really? What's been recently accepted? Few things that that stick out and are related to the. To the meeting. There is a a meeting on COPD disease, the symposium on COPD disease progression will um, occur on Tuesday afternoon. And I've actually been asked to talk about early COPD. I must say, I spent longer on this talk than I usually do on anything um, because it's a very complicated concept. But there is a paper. By Ross and I just recently accepted its online a brilliant paper looking at lung function um, trajectories in um, COPD gene. Of course, it's not really early COPD because early COPD is age 30 to 45 and these were older people. But we're beginning to build up this wealth of how does COPD develop. Um, There is more from Summit Summit, um, coming up. Um, machine learning in, in, in ILD, this is very topical. There's a lovely paper, in fact, on, um, in, in pediatrics. Haven't talked much about pediatrics, though we have some of the best pediatric critical care papers anywhere, in fact, in the journal. Um, at the moment, there is the controversy about pediatric ECMO, and there's been lots of letters and correspondence you can read about pros and cons of this. Uh, and also, a, a nice pediatric paper on RSV bronchiolitis. Now, RSV is getting important, vaccines are uh, being done as anti RSV therapies around. So, the whole issue of RSV, there's actually a very big EU grant I'm involved in. Um, that's studying European Union grants, studying RSV in various populations. And this was interesting that um, this is a paper it does come um, from uh, another part of Imperial College, not from my group, but I, I hope you don't mind me just mentioning it because it is actually um, interesting. And um, it really shows that in these in these um, infants with severe bronchiolitis, in fact, the RSV levels are low, with very low um, interferon gamma responses, but very high MUC5AC and IL-17. So and rsv i always say has complicated immunology and this is a good example and the last thing i really would like to uh, recommend is a fantastic review on home um, oxygen therapy it's the best i have ever read this was a topic i've been very interested in over the years had a lot to do with it and it's as clear as anything and i think it's all you ever need to know about home oxygen
0: well thank you for uh giving us all that information. It sounds like there's a a lot of uh, great articles to come and I look forward to actually reading that home oxygen uh, review. Um, So I want to close the podcast by thanking Dr. Vinjiha for joining us today. And to our listeners for listening, and I encourage any of you who are in San Diego for the ATS International Conference to go to the session that Dr. Benjiha mentioned. You don't usually get the opportunity to sort of get the perspective of a journal editor and, and uh, discuss statistical review and such. So I think that is a very helpful session for early career researchers. So for our listeners, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to our Out of the Blue podcast. You can find them in iTunes or your favorite podcast player by searching for American Thoracic Society. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine.